Welcome to this week's edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded on Thursday the 2nd of August here at Colin Chance House in Worcester. I'm Evelyn Brock, standing in as editor for Jenny Tansy this evening, and with me to read the news articles are Kate Hudman, Sue Perry and Margaret Brown. Our sound engineer is Duncan Wynne who I think must be at least half a stone lighter than he was this morning, sprinting for his car to try to get something I thought I'd left at home. But that which was lost is found, so all is well. But thank you, Duncan. Our thanks go to Worcester News for the material we'll read for you. The headlines for the week beginning the 27th of July 2018 are... Friday the 27th of July, parents are missing link to stop sex predators. Saturday the 28th of July, firm find £150,000 over caring dad's death. Monday the 30th of July, I'm sick of being abused. Tuesday the 31st of July, not again, battle to stop another EDL protest in City. Wednesday the 1st of August, drug dealing at over 60s housing. And Thursday the 2nd of August, Devil's Archway car raid on CCTV. So now I'm going to ask each of the team to greet you as they read you the headline articles. Good evening. I'm Kate Hudman. Parents are missing link to stop sex predators. Parents can be missing the missing link in protecting children from sexual predators who groom kids online, says a senior detective. DCI Rick Clare wants Worcestershire parents to play a key role in the fight against online grooming and other forms of child sexual exploitation. The Detective Chief Inspector, who is responsible for vulnerability in Worcestershire, says there has always been child sexual exploitation. It is only the methods which have changed. He wants children and parents to feel empowered to tackle online sex offenders and feel they have the confidence to come forward. With many children now owning smartphones with access to the internet, one of the most important things parents can do to protect their children is to have a conversation with them about the risks. Speaking from his Worcester office, DCI Clare says it is, a vi- it is vital that parents and guardians take an interest in the online life of their children in the same way that they would in their real world life, such as when they play football outside or visit a friend. West Mercia Police has recorded 73 grooming offences since April last year, 37 involving Facebook, Snapchat or Instagram. Eight offences involved victims aged 11 and under, with 48 involving victims aged 12 to 15. 
more than 3,000 offences have been recorded in England and Wales in the last year since a new anti-grooming law came into force with the youngest child targeted aged just five years old. Facebook, Snapchat and Instagram <coughs> excuse me, were the top three most recorded sites out of 80 different methods used in grooming offences. The new crime of sexual communication with the child came into force on April the 3rd, 2017, following an NSPCC campaign. We reported in the Worcester News in April how 61-year-old Richard Hayes Hall, a former Worcester dentist from Malvern, went to meet what he thought was a 14-year-old boy after grooming. However, the boy was in reality a police officer. While Thomas Leadham, aged 24, of Ombersley Road, Worcester, contacted a 12-year-old girl via Snapchat. James Colquitt, aged 23, formerly of Worcester, was jailed for inciting a child, aged 13, to engage in sexual activity as he chatted online about zombies and Xbox. DCI Clare said, From the perspective of the public, we can't keep children safe on our own. We will do everything we can. We will be online and in the real world to provide support and guidance. But the people who can also protect their children are parents. In his view, parents can help simply by having a conversation with their children about the issue, by not being confrontational and, bu and building trust so children and young people can have the confidence to tell them if something happens or preferably before it happens. They have to, they have to take a healthy interest in their child's online activity, a bit like they would if they were playing football. You would not send a child swimming on their own, now would you? Have the conversation, have that healthy relationship and a very real interest in what they're doing online. The key is not being confrontational, keeping that trust and keeping that door open so your child can come to you at any time. The child can never be to blame for anything like that. Prevention is the key. We don't want victims. We feel if this happens we've failed. The DCI, a father himself, said that those who groom children often have a strategy trying to drive a wedge between parents and their child and often carrying their own risk assessment, targeting those children who are most vulnerable. A child who has a strong, close relationship with his or her parents is at far less risk of being groomed or sexually exploited. Preventing grooming and sexual exploitation could have huge ramifications for society as a whole, as research suggests that four or more adverse childhood experiences may lead to problems in adulthood, including substance misuse and a higher chance of contact with the criminal justice system and prison. Police are increasingly using social media to catch perpetrators. DCI Clare said... If you're talking to someone online, doing something you should not be doing, it could be a detective and you will be getting a knock on your door. We will use whatever methods we need to within the law. Now Saturday, July the 28th. Firm fined £150,000 over caring dad's death. A haulage company has been fined £150,000 after a caring and selfless father was crushed to death by a reversing lorry following a series of health and safety blunders. Kevin Scott died while acting as an untrained banksman at Tools Transport Yard in Russia Trading Estate, Droitwich. 
The sentencing of the company for breaching its general duty to an employee took place at Worcester Crown Court yesterday. The sentencing brought some measure of closure to his family, including sons Greg and Christopher Scott, who attended the hearing and described the loss of their father as devastating. Greg Scott said after the sentence, we're just happy it's all done, it's closure. He was stoic, he was strong, he was caring, he gave 100%. He cared for people more than himself at times. He was very selfless. He was my dad at the end of the day. He was someone me and Chris could talk to, a shoulder to cry on. Tools Transport Limited was convicted of the single count after a four-week trial at Worcester Crown Court. Mr Scott, aged 60, died on December the 11th, 2013, after he was crushed by the goods vehicle at the yard at around 6pm. The lorry was performing a, blind, a blindside reversing manoeuvre with Mr Scott acting as banksman. Emergency services were called but he could not be saved. Judge Robert Jukes QC said Mr Scott was an experienced driver who had worked for Tools Transport for a number of years. Sean Jennings, another experienced driver, was driving the lorry which killed Mr Scott and was kept on in his job afterwards. The judge said... The evidence plainly shows that he, Mr Scott, was acting as an untrained banksman at the time he died and had got himself into a dangerous position, very probably in my finding because he was trying to protect his own vehicle from damage to the driver's side mirror. The judge said Mr Jennings performed this blindside reverse because of the position of other vehicles in the yard and it wasn't a manoeuvre he would have chosen to perform. The court heard Mr Scott would never know his granddaughter, who was now about seven months old. The judge acknowledged the discussion of costs which preceded the sentence was not an attractive thing, but has to be done. A number of health and safety issues had been identified at the time of Mr Scott's death. These included the use of untrained banksmen. A banksman helps drivers when manoeuvring the segregation of pedestrians and vehicles, the movement of vehicles round the yard's central reservation, the labelling of pallets which put drivers in close proximity to manoeuvring lorries and the level of lighting. The judge said there were two metres between the lorries and minor collisions happened between them not infrequently. He said that company's director, John Toole, who was present at the hearing, placed a lot of trust in his drivers and was shown to be a particularly good leader of men who was devoted to his employees. However, he said, health and safety breaches in these areas must have subsisted for from four to five years, placing the offence in the medium culpability sentencing bracket. The court heard around 60 drivers used the yard and they were exposed to risk as a result of working practices. However, no other report had been against the company in 40 years. There were no previous convictions against Tools Transport Limited, which had sought to remedy the issues raised by the HSE. The judge found no aggravating features. He imposed a fine of £150,000, which the company will pay at a rate of £30,000 per year over a, rate, uh, over a period of five years. 
Costs were placed at £253,728, including £130,000 in council costs accrued over three years, a figure disputed by the defence but ruled to be not excessive by the judge. The judge, in imposing the fine, also acknowledged the company's narrow profit margin. The costs are expected to be paid by the insurance company. It was also revealed at the hearing that Mr Toole plans to sell the company. He declined to speak to the Worcester News at this time. Hello, I'm Sue Perry and the headline for Monday, July the 30th is I'm sick of being abused. A mobility scooter user says he gets abused and threatened by motorists when on the road because many people don't appear to understand the law. Paul Brown has been using a roadworthy mobility scooter for six years and said he gets confronted by drivers in Worcester and Evesham at least once every time he leaves his home. The 66-year-old has diabetes and, due to diabetic neuropathy, can no longer feel his feet and has just lost some toes, meaning he can only walk short distances with the help of a mobility frame. He says, every time I go out on the scooter, I'm constantly being shouted at, abused and threatened. People need to be educated. They seem to think I'm not allowed on the roads, said Mr Brown. I'm sick and tired and it's down to poor education. Some people assume you're not allowed onto the road and they think it's all right to shout. He said, I get cars beeping their horns at me and drivers having to go out of the window, uh, having a go, sorry, out of the window. Some people pull so close to me that I can see the time on their watch while they're shouting, get off the road, the effing road. Mr Brown's scooter can reach speeds of eight miles an hour as opposed to standard scooters which only reach four miles an hour and so must remain on the pavement. By law, he can drive it on main roads, but not bypasses or motorways, though he can cross a bypass junction if it means gaining access from one main road to the next. The government's mobility scheme provides an affordable way for people with disabilities to lease a car, scooter or powered wheelchair in exchange for their mobility allowance. Mr Brown said he was given the option of a regular scooter or a road legal one, opting for the latter, which has all the correct insurance but is not required by law to carry licence plates. Over the last two years, he estimates he has clocked up 2,400 miles, largely on his visits to the shops and other necessary trips. My scooter is my lifeline. Without it, I'm stuck in the house, said the pensioner, who has also had two heart attacks and two strokes and suffers from high cholesterol. You name it, I've probably had it, he said. My ability to move around is limited. There's a shop about 200 yards from my house, but I couldn't manage that without the scooter. He said he goes from South Littleton to Evesham generally twice a week and has made trips to Worcester where he receives similar abuse when on the scooter. He said those who generally cause him hassle are men between around 20 and 50, but that women and people of all ages have acted aggressively towards him, including hand gestures. I stick as close to the curb as possible unless I'm navigating a roundabout, he said. 
estimating he can travel five miles in around 40 minutes. I have headlights, everything a car's got except a roof, but I rarely drive at night. When I have been out in the dark, the abuse was unbelievable. He said, I never feel unsafe with lorries and cars driving past me. I allow them to overtake if it's causing a hold-up. There are amazing amounts of courteous drivers. I'm just sick of the bad language and abuse. I've been called everything under the sun. Mr Brown, who lives with his husband Richard, who has also witnessed the abuse, said people will often follow him into supermarkets and tell him to get number plates put on his scooter. He said he also gets occasional abuse on the street or when going round the shops with people telling him, you shouldn't be allowed in here with that ugly thing. The police tell me not to say anything. He's now considering fitting a camera to his scooter As he said, police have told him if he can prove instances of abuse, then they can look to take action. Today I had three separate instances of abuse and decided enough was enough, he said. At the moment, they're getting away with it. Sometimes they come so close in their cars that the bike shakes. I tell them, why don't you come a bit closer? I do swear back at them, but it's to no avail. Hello, I'm Margaret Brown, and this is the headline for Tuesday, July the 31st. Uh, Not again, referring uh, to violence when EDL members and counter-protesters came head-to-head in Broad Street on the 21st of July with a police officer injured. Um, Labour Party bosses are calling for a ban on a far-right protest planned in the city following violent clashes at the last rally. The English Defence League intends to hold another rally in the city on September 1st over plans to build a £3 million mosque in Stanley Road, Worcester. More than 700 people have signed a petition in a bid to stop the demonstration from going ahead due to the abuse and violence at the previous protest on July the 21st. Opponents of the EDL have also organised a counter-protest to coincide with the march on September the 1st. Councillor Adrian Gregson, leader of Worcester City Council's Labour Party group, said the EDL is an organisation dedicated to inciting hatred within communities. It causes division friction and alienation when there is none and it thrives on our most basic prejudices. There is no room for them in the faithful city of Worcester. This alone is enough reason to ban them. Councillor Gregson added that the march would be expensive to police, deter tourists and damage the city's reputation. He also said people who oppose minorities are not welcome in the city. Laura Lane who has organised the counter-protest, said other far-right groups, including the Stoke-on-Trent Infidels, Yorkshire Patriots and the Northern Democratic Football Lads Alliance, plan to take part in the upcoming EDL rally. She said this time they have not stated their intent or that they will be holding a peaceful demonstration, but have instead shared propaganda to instigate a fight or a civil war, with many supporters calling for weapons and violence. 
uh, we will be there to greet them again, not to have a fight as they wish, but simply to be a positive presence for the public and to show them that Worcester is a tolerant and loving community that is proud of our multicultural, multiculturalism and respect for others. The 26-year-old university student described the last counter-protest in Cathedral Square, Worcester, as a success, with hundreds of people from a range of different backgrounds coming together to oppose hatred. Uh, Worcester in Solidarity, which has started the petition against the second EDL rally, called on the police, Home Secretary, Council and other agencies to stop the rally from going ahead. Three people were arrested and two police officers injured on July the 21st. A Democratic Football Lads Alliance spokesman claims the group does not intend the rally, does not intend to attend the rally, uh, contrary to an EDL Facebook post. A Weatherspoon spokesman said it will keep its two pubs in the city, the Postal Order and the Crown, closed until around 6pm on September the 1st. Headline for Wednesday the 1st of August, Drug Dealing at Over Sixes Housing. Frightened pensioners are desperate for the police to clamp down on drug dealing at a housing complex for older people. Tenants claim addicts regularly visit a dealer who lives in John Gwynne House in North Parade, Worcester. One resident said users have slept in the corridors of the property and even injected drugs in plain sight. Sanctuary Group, who runs the site, sent a letter to residents this month warning them about the alleged drug dealing. One 80-year-old resident who didn't want to be named said it's been going on for years. There's a constant flow of people coming and going, buying drugs. I can tell 90% are drug users from the state of them. The users sleep in corridors here if they can with their sleeping bags. One lady took photographs of them injecting with spoons and flames. It makes people feel very frightened. The police know all about them, but nothing happens. We are all over 50 who live here. It's supposed to be a safe environment, and all the police say is we will keep track of it. The resident claims users visit a middle-aged dealer who lives and sells drugs at the site. Her neighbour, a 62-year-old cleaner, who also asked not to be named, said users regularly visit the suspected dealer. She claims one of those visitors recently verbally abused her. I called the guy who lived there afterwards and said, you need to keep the people who are coming here away from me, she added. I said I could phone the police and he said, it will stop soon, I'm just having my arm twisted at the moment. I just want it to stop. She said drug Drug users wake her up at night when they trigger an automatic light near her flat. The cleaner claims other residents have seen queues outside the suspected dealer's door at 7am in the morning. She said, people that are buying a bit of weed don't come round at 7am and buy it, so I think it's harder stuff than that, possibly heroin. They come out in a real state. She added that she does not have time to gather evidence of the drug dealing and contact the police. Instead, she called the Sanctuary Group to install a CCTV camera at the property. Chief Inspector Mel Crowther said, We would like to reassure the community that any reports to the police are acted upon and therefore we would encourage anyone who sees any drugs-related activity to report it to the police on 101 
or approach your local safer neighbourhood team when they are in the area. Krista Ripley, Head of Housing for Sanctuary Group, said, We are working closely with West Mercia Police to address issues that have been raised by residents and will assist local officers in any way that we can. Evidence is vitally important to help police tackle criminality of any sort and we would remind residents that information can be provided anonymously by contacting independent charity Crime Stoppers on 0800 And for Saturday, so I'm sorry, Thursday the 2nd of August, Devil's Archway Car Raid on CCTV. CCTV pictures captured two men brazenly opening a car door and rummaging around inside before fleeing towards Devil's Archway, described by residents as a rat run for criminals. Mark Watson's CCTV cameras caught the pair who appeared to be in their late teens trying the handles on all three cars on his driveway, finding the last one, a red Volkswagen Golf, to be unlocked. Despite not managing to find anything to steal, the offenders then ran off towards the tunnel, which is just yards from Mr Watson's home on Suffolk Drive. Devil's Archway runs under a railway line joining Suffolk Drive and Worcester Trading Estate in Blackpool. Last month we reported Mr Watson's calls for it to be better policed or blocked off entirely claiming burglaries and vandalism are increasing in the area, with the culprits then escaping down the narrow tunnel. If it was a one-off incident, I wouldn't mind as much, said Mr Watson, 50. But it's things like this that are happening all the time, particularly around this time of year. We had our house broken into last summer while we were on holiday. He believes the two young men were sleeping rough in the tunnel, and said he was woken up about 5.45am on Thursday by voices on his driveway. Didn't think much of it at first. It wasn't until I checked the CCTV later on, he said. They're sleeping rough inside the tunnel. My mother spotted them one morning when she was walking the dogs and warned me. Mr Watson believes the pair had been staying overnight in the tunnel because of the recent heavy rain and thinks they may work locally due to one wearing workman's trousers. The footage shows one black-haired man in a grey Gucci t-shirt, blue jeans and dark trainers approach the driveway from the tunnel before trying the cars and realising one is unlocked. He then went off to get his mate, said Mr Watson. The lead guy does not appear to be that clever. You can clearly see his face. The other one at one point did put his hood up. Having both leaned inside the car and rummaged round, the second man, who has brown hair and is in black workman's trousers and a dark grey hooded jumper and dark trainers, then opens the boot. Mr Watson said they were only on the drive for a couple of minutes and didn't steal anything, but he's reported the incident to police. He said the police have been sent stills from the CCTV footage, but told him they can't do that much unless they catch them in the act. He added, they said they'll be keeping a lookout for us. Mr Watson said, the tunnel is also currently full of empty beer bottles, which young children currently on school holidays are finding and smashing. 
On July the 11th, he was woken up in the early hours by two people who set fire to a mini motorbike on his driveway. And earlier last month, his cameras caught a man stealing his wheelie bins. Mr Watson's campaign for action at the tunnel has gained support from St Stephen's Ward City Councillors Gareth Jones and Neil Lawrenson, and police have said they are aware of concerns regarding antisocial behaviour. However, a police spokeswoman said officers rarely get reports of incidents in this area. Despite this, PCSO Linda Pawley tweeted a photo of officers patrolling the area after the Worcester News reported on the problem in July. We're continuing now with some articles of interest, hopefully. The Bishop of Worcester, Dr John Inge, welcomed 28 Chinese young people to the cathedral on Saturday morning. Their visit was designed to highlight the cathedral's place in the spiritual and historical story of Britain, offering students an insight into the Christian faith and its formative role in British culture. This visit was part of a two-week summer camp organised by the bishop's wife, H.J. Colston, whose company, Chopsticks Club, builds cultural literacy between China and the UK. The group are staying at the Elms School in the Malvern Hills for a summer camp, designed to improve English language skills and provide a wide range of cultural and outdoor activities. Seeing the children learn through activities outside of their experience has been such a joy to watch, said H.J. They have walked with pigs, built a dam for ducks, walked with the Ledbury Basset Hounds and will be learning tomorrow's dance later in the week. The children relish being in the green outdoors, something not so easy to do in urban China. Ben Smith, Director of Education at the Cathedral, put together an excellent programme of activities for the children, including an insight into the symbols and imagery of the cathedral's architecture and decoration. The musical workshop, run by Christopher Allsop, the Assistant Director of Music at the Cathedral, introduced the group to English cathedral music and included an organ demonstration and the opportunity for the group to learn and sing a Hallelujah Chorus. These Chinese people were wowed by the splendour, scale and history of the cathedral, something which is so easy for us to take for granted, said Bishop John. It was moving to see how much it affected them. The group also witnessed a peal of bells being rung for a wedding taking place that day and enjoyed the far-reaching views from the top of the tower. The pre-centre and all the volunteers who accompanied the group showed a great dedication and kept the group very engaged. The visit to the cathedral has been a highlight of the group's itinerary so far, said Milani Shi, the group leader from China, hearing the children singing, Made my heart melt, she added. Now, this is a report on the 40th anniversary of this talking newspaper. The, the Worcester News talking newspaper celebrated its 40th anniversary on Saturday. Uh, set up to allow blind and partially sighted people to listen to the newspaper being read aloud, the organisation are a lifeline to many people in the city. On Saturday, volunteers and others gathered at the Commandery Gardens in Sidbury to mark the anniversary. 
Elizabeth Hill, one of the editors at the Talking Newspaper, said, A lot of people live on their own. We do obituaries so they know if friends have died and when the funerals are. We provide emergency telephone numbers and information from the police about scams. We let them know about local events. We also tell them when it's getting darker so they can put their lights on at home so it looks like someone is in. Mrs Hill became involved with the Dorking newspaper in 1978. A lady who was visually impaired asked me what I was going to do when I went on maternity leave, she said. Based in Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, the Talking Newspaper started in 1978 under the control of Colin and Belle Chance, who were visually impaired themselves. It was recorded in their dining room. Colin died in 1983, and so when a new base for the Talking Newspaper opened in Wilds Lane in 1987, the building was named after him. <coughs> Listeners received the talking newspaper on memory sticks posted to them each week. A former city school pupil and county cricketer has been declared as Pakistan's new Prime Minister. Imran Khan studied at the Royal Grammar School Worcester from 1971 to 72, playing cricket for the school before going on to play for Worcestershire County Cricket and then captain to the, the Pakistan national side. The official results of the Pakistan general elections gave victory to the cricketer-turned-politicians party Tariq-e-Insaf, or PTI, on Friday morning. However, Mr Khan will need to stitch an alliance to form a coalition government, having failed to win an outright majority. It is the country's third consecutive election of a civilian government. Born in 1952, the only son of a civil engineer, Mr Khan was sent to England and educated at Royal Grammar School, living in White Ladies Boarding House, before attending Keble College, Oxford. Mr Khan was known to be a relatively quiet pupil, but who was academically able and hard-working. During his time at RGS, the talented teenager completely reworked his bowling action in the school gym, turning him into the potent force that would make him an ultimate all-rounder. He also played rugby for the school, despite not knowing the rules, according to his teammates, but his strength and pace made him a useful player on the wing. His cricket career is recorded on the school's honours board at Flag Meadow, now Worcestershire's County Cricket Club's second ground. After his debut for Pakistan, the now 65-year-old found he would be asked for his autograph at school matches. He played for WCCC from 1971 to 76, before making his debut for Pakistan in 1971, aged just 18, going on to captain the national side between 1982 and 1992, winning the World Cup in his final year. He was inducted into the ICC Hall of Fame in 2010, having made 3,807 runs and taken 362 wickets in his illustrious career. Now, chemo covers aid patients' dignity. A patient undergoing chemotherapy at Worcestershire Royal Hospital has designed and created discrete covers for patients to wear over the insertion lines used for their treatment. 
Terry Priest, a second-time cancer survivor from Worcester, aged 61, has been sewing special lace clothing covers which cover the PICC, or PIC, peripherally inserted central catheter lines on patients. Mrs Priest said, I hate looking at my insertion line, it's so ugly, and it's just a reminder of how awful cancer is. I feel like the covers empower people. The covers are really simple to make, but really effective at disguising a pick line. You can decorate them however you like to suit the patient. I've made children's ones with rainbows and colours on, or you could make one to look like a tattoo sleeve or whatever you like. A pick line, usually in the upper arm, is an intravenous access line used to administer chemotherapy or other IV treatments to patients at home or in hospital. These lines remain in place when they leave hospital so that treatments can be managed again without having to reinsert a catheter each time. Mrs Priest said the covers provide an attractive accessory, can be customised in several different colours which can be used to match an outfit or a particular mood. The idea is to hide the pick line from view and helps chemotherapy patients maintain normality. Mrs Priest was diagnosed in March after having survived cancer when she was 28 years old. Mrs Priest had so far made the covers for more than 10 other patients she's met during her treatment at the hospital. She said, I've had a, a really good reaction from them so far. They take only one minute to make. All you need is some elastic lace and a sewing machine. I will be having chemo until around Christmas time, so until then I will be making more covers for whoever would like one. More, most people will know of someone who has had chemo or needed a pick line at some point, so there are lots of people who could benefit from this, and it's just something nice that people might like to do for themselves. The staff in the Rowan suite at Worcestershire Royal Hospital have been fantastic, and I thank all of them for their hard work. Jane Rutter, matron for the Rowan Suite at Worcestershire Royal Hospital, said, I've never seen these before. It's a really simple idea, but so effective. It's especially nice in this hot weather, as it's so light and airy, and you're more likely to have your arms on show. A wheelchair user is angry at the lack of disabled access in the city, with the new entrance at Cripplegate Park a prime example. Rosemary Humphreys said it is a pity and very disappointing that steps have been installed where the flower beds used to be, from the new road traffic lights to the park. The City Council has said the steps, allowing for access off Worcester Bridge, were added to create a more attractive entrance to the park and allow for better views of the Glover's Needle. However, Miss Humphreys, 85, said... No thought has been given to wheelchair access to the park and a slope or ramp would have been more appropriate. It's far from convenient for somebody in a wheelchair, she continued. I can't think why so many steps are needed there anyway. There used to be an ordinary access by the bridge. It was just a plain entrance. Why do they need steps? While wheelchair users can simply navigate round the steps where the flower beds once were, Miss Humphrey said that she felt it gave non-wheeler users precedence. The pensioner uses a frame and wheelchair when going outside, having had a stroke three years ago. 
She admitted that many places throughout Worcester are becoming more wheelchair-friendly, but said many places still haven't made enough changes, with disabled people seemingly an afterthought. Being an old city, it isn't built for wheelchairs, really, she said, but some changes are still needed. The steps into Cripplegate Park are part of a joint project between the city and county councils closely associated with work to raise new road. A city council spokeswoman denied the park entrance is not accessible to wheelchair users. 400 places in Worcester were accessibility checked, including wheelchair access, either this year, earlier this year, sorry, with the results available at disabledgo.com, they added. This, this is a tap water warning. Uh, residents have been warned not to drink water from their taps after 7 Trent found that it was not of an acceptable quality. People living in apartments and houses at Woodhouse Close in Diglis, including Wearside Court, Lockwheel House and Bridgeview House, have reported smelling sulphur in their water. Seven Trent claim that, it is, that the issue is due to private work being carried out at the apartments. Numerous bottles of water have been handed out to dozens of residents by Seven Trent and stacked outside people's doors after the problem surfaced on Tuesday. Resident Emma Lampett said, Seven Trent have been really helpful. They have given us lots of water. It's one of those things it does not really affect us too much. We have been told there is a chemical in the water. Tom Squire said, it is a bonus for me because I can take it to work. It has not really affected me. I have been given loads of water. I drank four big bottles of the tap water and I realised it smelt funny, but I feel fine after it. Cynthia Dyson said it's slightly annoying. I'm not able to wash my face with the water and washing vegetables is difficult. We do not know when it will be sorted, Seven Trent said. They are analysing it on Friday to find out which chemical it is. Sean Glanfield added, it is not really a problem. I can still use the water for cleaning and washing. They managed to get the bottled water out to us at the same time they warned us. The water was contaminated. Tests will be undertaken today, that's Friday, to assess what chemical is in the water. A Seven Trent spokesman said, We can confirm that we have issued a do not drink notice to a small number of customers living in an apartment block and some houses in Worcester after we tested their water supply and found that it was not of an acceptable quality. On investigation, we found that the issue was caused by private work carried out at the apartments and what was not a result of a problem within our network. We are now working closely with those responsible to get everything back to normal and have supplied everyone affected with bottled water. For the first time, St Richard's Hospice, based in Worcester, is organising a bespoke 12-day challenging trek to the Himalayas, exploring the Nepalese countryside. The trek would take place from November the 2nd to the 13th, 2019, and on Wednesday, September the 5th, the hospice, along with travel organiser Different Travel, will be holding an information evening at its Wildwood Drive site. Representatives from the travel company will be on hand to inspire potential travellers and answer any questions. 
Walkers are urged to sign up by the end of September to allow time for training and fundraising. Importantly, the trip will also include two days helping a non-profit hospice care organisation in Kathmandu, which, like St Richard's, offers services and support to terminally ill patients and their families. Already signed up for the Himalayan adventure is June Patel, St Richard's Hospice Chief Executive. She explained, I am very much looking forward to taking part in this challenge. I have never been to Nepal and so it is hugely exciting. From a personal point of view, I am looking forward to pushing my boundaries and spending time outside of my normal comfort zone. Professionally, I am also very much looking forward to experiencing hospice healthcare in a different setting. My aim is to raise as much as I can for our care. The registration fee for each applicant is £350. Two options are then available. Pay £2,300 for the trip and raise as much sponsorship as possible or raise a minimum of £3,600 in sponsorship and the trip will be funded by the hospice. Hospice supporters have previously taken part in a variety of overseas challenges to raise funds towards the charity's care. Last year, paramedic Rebecca England from Worcester took part in a trek to the Great Wall of China to raise funds for the hospice, which cared for her mum. She said, I really enjoyed my time in China walking the Great Wall. At first, I was a little bit apprehensive as I had decided to take on the challenge by myself. But once I met the rest of the group, I was put at ease. Everyone in the group was lovely and meeting them was one of the highlights along with walking the Great Wall and seeing the amazing scenery. To confirm attendance at the September open evening, please contact fundraising at strichards.org.uk or call the fundraising team on 01905 763 963. The next article says helping to tackle our homelessness and it's under the heading of your NHS and it's by Dr Carl Elson, NHS South Worcestershire. The causes of homelessness are complex and often due to various problems that are usually outside of someone's control. Homelessness can have a severe impact on someone's health and well-being. For example, rough sleepers have a life expectancy of 47 years old, compared with a UK average of 77 years old. 45% of rough sleepers are diagnosed with a mental health issue, and 41% suffer with long-term health conditions, both again much higher than the UK average. Therefore, it's important that health and social care partners across the county work together to do all we can to offer help and support to the homeless, but also ensure that we're building on measures already in place to stop people from becoming homeless in the first place. Organisations across Worcestershire, including the three CCGs, County Council, Local Councils and Housing, are working collaboratively on a number of priorities to tackle homelessness, including presenting risk factors earlier for those most vulnerable to become home, becoming homeless, providing a more in-depth service for those who become homeless and ensuring that low-cost rentals are available for those who need them. It's important to note that a lot of work has already taken place, especially around improving pathways, particularly for young people. We have improved partnership working 
steps have been implemented to prevent rough sleeping, including establishing no second night out and providing more emergency shelters and accommodation where needed. And we have ensured that the funds available have been utilised more effectively. There are a few ways that you can help and be part of Worcester Cares. If you see someone sleeping rough, you can tell Street Link. They will then send someone to see the person and offer support. More information is available at streetlink.co.uk. Also, a number of charities are available in the city, including Mags Day Centre, St Paul's Hostel and Caring for Communities. People can connect to these charities by visiting The Hive. This is um, a story about Abigail Johnson, who's cycling from Cadbury World to Churchfield's Farm Ice Cream in honour of her granddad, um, who is battling with cancer. A kind-hearted 11-year-old girl is set to cycle more than 20 miles from Cadbury World to Churchfield's Farm Ice Cream in honour of her granddad, who is battling bowel and liver cancer. Abigail Johnson of Witchbold was inspired to complete the gruelling circuit in support of her 81-year-old granddad, Ian Love, of Rushwick near Worcester, who loves ice cream but cannot have any due to his current treatment for bowel cancer and secondary liver cancer. Abigail will complete the ride with her mother, Sophie, on Tuesday, August the 21st, starting from Bourneville at 9.30 in the morning. They aim to arrive at Churchfield's Farm Ice Cream in Salwarp near Joitwich at about 3pm, where they will be greeted by friends and family, including Grandad Ian, who may be able to enjoy an ice cream. Abigail, a former student at St John's C of E Middle Academy, Bromsgrove, is raising cash for Bowel Cancer UK and has almost reached her £500 target. Her mother, Sophie, said... The school set them a test over the holidays to do five challenges. One of the things is to do something for charity. She was thinking what she could do and was trying to figure out what to do that she really enjoys doing and then came up with the idea to go to church fields. At first we were looking for another ice cream place but then we decided to go from Cadbury's. I think it will be about 20 miles or so and she's never done that distance before. Abigail said, I am doing it because my gramps loves ice cream and it's a nice ride. I really hope we raise lots of money. Posting on her fundraising page, she said, My granddad has been affected by bowel cancer, which has led to secondary liver cancer. Two of his favourite foods are chocolate and ice cream. Due to his treatment, though, he's not allowed to eat ice cream, so we thought we'd have some for him. Just over two weeks ago, Abigail took part in a short practice cycle ride to Churchfield's farm. She will present her five challenges, including the charity cycle ride, to her class in September. Bowel Cancer UK enables and and fund research, provide information and support to patients and their families, educate the public and professionals about the disease and campaign for early diagnosis. To make a do- donation, visit justgiving.com slash fundraising slash Abigail dash Johnson 12. Uh, 
this is a new ban to stop boozing in streets. Uh, a ban on street drinking has been rolled out across swathes of Worcester and offenders could be fined £1,000. City councillors have decided to introduce new powers to stop people drinking alcohol in streets and other public places from mid-August. Members of the Communities Committee voted on Wednesday night to introduce a public spaces protection order, banning the drinking of alcohol in certain zones and forcing offenders to surrender their booze. Uh, the PSPO, that's the Public Spaces Protection Order, will apply to the whole of Worcester City Centre and additional areas in Cranham Drive and Windermere Drive in Warnden, King George V Playing Fields, an area around Rose Avenue in Tolladine and the Blackpool Industrial Estate. Anyone found in breach of the rules would be guilty of a criminal offence and could receive a fixed penalty notice of up to £70, or, if prosecuted via a magistrate's court, could face a maximum fine of £1,000. It's clear that street drinking causes significant disturbance to residents and puts huge pressure on police time and hospital resources, says Councillor James Stanley, chair of the Communities Committee. Introducing this new order will give the council and police greater powers to intervene at an earlier stage and to take punitive action where appropriate. The move follows a public consultation in the spring, which received 430 responses. Of those, 300 respondents described street drinking as a big or fairly big problem in Worcester and 316 said they would support the confiscation of alcohol within the ban zones. Some councillors on the committee said more areas should be included in the PSPO. Councillor Stephen Hodgson said, I was expecting Warnden to be in the new scheme and I think the residents of Warnden will be disappointed that they won't be included. Councillor Tracy Biggs had a problem with how the ban would be enforced, particularly with the homeless. She said, I understand that there's an anti-social behaviour with these people, but I just hope that that we are more mindful of addiction. And a further article on addiction, this time, Black Mambas Toll, Warning Over Danger Drug. And this is accompanied by pictures sent in by readers of Worcester News of suspected black mamba users in a semi-comatose state slumped on benches in the middle of Worcester. These shocking pictures show the devastating toll that the drug black mamba is having on Worcester. Readers have shared pictures of suspected users slumped on city benches in recent weeks. West Midlands Ambulance Service and West Mercia police figures seem to show a steady increase in incidents involving the former legal high. Steve, a 41-year-old homeless man from Worcester, said, It's an escape from reality. That's why people use it. I tried smoking it outside the hive. I just think about death on it. It put me on another level. By the time I got upstairs in the lift, I sat in the window for about three hours. Steve, who uses heroin once or twice a week, 
said his drug-taking began with marijuana. However, one thing led to another, and he eventually started using harder substances. He said, the key is to never do it. It's like a comfort blanket. I only don't use it now as I don't have any money. Most people go on holiday or get a car. I've no interest in any of it. I just want to score. A West Midlands Ambulance Service spokesman issued a warning about the dangers of untested and unregulated legal highs. The spokesman said he can, they can lead to seizures, heart attacks and strokes and added, users are putting their lives at risk every time they take them. Some patients are left with long-term illnesses while others never wake up. The effects can lead to the patient suffering extreme highs and lows, which sometimes results in patients appearing to be suffering mental health issues at one end of the scale to extreme violence at the other. Because it's impossible to tell what substances are used within the drugs, it can make it extremely difficult for our staff to provide treatment. West Midlands Ambulance Service has logged over 2,000 MAMBA calls so far this year, with incidents rising every month except for in February. West Mercia police figures also show that seizures of synthetic cannabinoids have steadily increased since legal highs were banned in 2016. Black MAMBA is a synthetic marijuana that is smoked. A driver has been rushed to hospital after a crash involving a bus and three other vehicles. The crash happened outside the Portobello Inn in Bransford Road, Worcester, at about 6.41pm on Thursday. Bus driver Philip Coles said he crashed into a van after it attempted to overtake a taxi. Mr Coles, aged 59, from Bewdley, said a taxi was turning left and the van was overtaking the taxi. I hit him head on. I lost control of the bus. You see it on the telly, someone comes at you head on and you think, oh dear, the van did a 180 degree turn. The one man in the van was injured and taken to hospital. I feel lucky not to be injured. Mr Coles, who had no passengers on his bus at that time, said he was a bit shaken up by the incident. The bus also damaged two parked vehicles. Eyewitness Liam Crane described the crash as a close shave. He said, We were sitting on the bench at the pub overlooking the road. We were sitting there discussing whether to watch Incredibles 2 when we heard a bang. I looked up and saw the van spin 180 degrees. The big thing that caught our eye was the bus. You don't often see a bus out of control and we thought, Where is the bus going? The bus driver was battling to keep control. Following the crash, Mr Crane went to check to see if everyone was injured anyone was injured, whilst his partner, Isabel, rang the ambulance service. He added, I saw the bus was empty, thank goodness. We noticed the bus driver had got out and I wasn't sure if he was hurt, but the guy in the van was stuck in the vehicle. He didn't get out at all. It may have been shock. The airbag had gone off and he'd gone 180 degrees. A couple of people went over to him and said, take a few deep breaths. Police are on the way. Mr Crane estimated that the injured driver was in his late 20s or early 30s. West Midlands Ambulance Service sent an ambulance and a paramedic officer to the crash at 6.41pm. Paramedics said the van driver suffered minor injuries and abdominal pain. The ambulance took the van driver to Worcestershire Royal Hospital, arriving at 7.45pm. 
Two fire crews from Worcester and one crew from Droitwich were also called to the scene. Watch commander Nick Tuckwell said his crew helped to make the four vehicles safe and assisted the ambulance service. The paramedics and firefighters also worked together to get the injured man out of his vehicle. The street was blocked in both directions on Thursday night and the emergency services urged drivers to avoid the area. Police officers also responded to the incident and anyone with information can ring 101 quoting 674S of July 26. Um, this is an article about um, a former Worcester MP, Sir Peter Luff, who has revealed that he is living with Parkinson's disease after being diagnosed with the condition three years ago. Sir Peter, aged 63, who is now chairman of the Heritage Lottery Fund, says he could have had the disease diagnosed sooner if he knew that he could have referred himself to a specialist rather than waiting to be referred by a health professional. He has decided to go public to raise awareness of the disease. He said, Although I was diagnosed in 2015, in retrospect, what I now recognise as symptoms were apparent in 2011 or 2012. A friend who um, was a retired GP thought there was something wrong and they urged me to have it checked out. Among the symptoms that he noticed were a weak voice, excessive salivating and joint pain. There are many, many symptoms of Parkinson's and people experience different combinations of them, he said. <clears throat> the diagnosis itself took rather a long time, too long in fact, and I wish I had known that I could have referred myself directly to a neurophysiotherapist, a physio specialising in neurological conditions, rather than having to be referred by a GP or a specialist. Sir Peter said that with medication he is continuing to live as normal a life as possible. <clears throat> he said, The medication has been a real salvation. The loss of mobility is an issue, but for now I am coping well. He said the diagnosis was not the reason for his retirement from the House of Commons and that he hoped to chair the Heritage Lottery Fund as long as he's able. He said, my family are of course upset that I have Parkinson's, but they are very supportive. We've moved to a house with a downstairs bedroom, so we're ready should I need it. You just can't tell what the future is with Parkinson's. Some people suffer a rapid decline and others go on relatively okay for decades. You just have to hope for the best and he urged people to become aware of the symptoms of Parkinson's. That is part of the reason I have gone public about this, to raise awareness of the disease, he said. Friends and family can often see that there is something wrong with you before you realise it yourself. Sir Peter was MP for Worcester from 1992 until 1997, and mid-Worcestershire MP from 1997 to 2015. Uh, there is a million pound water pipe upgrading beginning. Uh, a million pound water improvement project has started in Worcester City Centre and will see road closures as a result. Seven Trent Waters one and a quarter million scheme includes the installation of new pipes to prevent to help prevent leaks and bursts. After work has finished, new road surfaces will be installed early next year. Work begin 
begins in the shambles, including the Pump Street Junction on Monday and will last until September the 7th. From later next week, drivers will not have access to that road during the usual 4.30pm to 10.30am time frame. Signs and barriers will then be in operation in St Swithin Street between September the 10th and the 21st, while new pipes are installed there. Trinity Street is next, with road closures and a reversal of the one-way system in operation between September the 24th and October the 2nd. Then there will be road closures in Mealcheapen Street between October the 3rd and October the 12th, and Church Street between October the 15th and October the 26th, again for new pipes. Gareth Mead from Seven Trent said, Work is really important for the people of Worcester, as it means they'll have a water supply they can rely on for future generations. The older pipes, the older pipes get the more likely they are to burst and cause problems for our customers. So doing this work now means that we can make sure the water keeps flowing in Worcester. Seven Trent's contract partners, Amy, will carry out the work with everything expected to be completed in October. Mr Mead added, We know this is a busy area of town and every effort has been made to minimise any disruption caused. There will be some traffic restrictions in place so our teams can work safely, but all businesses will remain open during our work and pedestrian access along the shambles will always be available. This is part of Seven Trent's upgrade scheme where the equivalent of £1,400 for every home and business it serves will be spent between 2015 and 2020. For more information, see www.stop.stw.works. And this is from the Mayor, this week's um, Mayor's column. Last Saturday, the need to remain resolute in the face of adversity and unite against those that seek to divide us was clearly illustrated. Approximately 500 pro-peace demonstrators came out and stood united for peace, love and harmony, thus preventing the EDL from marching through the city. There has been a frenzy of media coverage and and of people sharing some of what took place on Saturday via social media. I stand firm in my message, love not hate. Despite some of the images and footage circulating, the majority of counter-protesters were calm, peaceful and measured. However, on both sides there was an element which behaved in an incendiary manner, fueling hatred. The police and the peaceful protesters did our city proud and I extend my thanks to them. There are obvious lessons to be learned if we are to avoid further violent scenes and scrutiny is already underway. Shockingly, on the same day, news broke in the evening of a disturbing and vile incident in which a toddler was the deliberate attack of a uh, target sorry, of a suspected acid attack. The world's eyes watched. The city united in shock, horror and sympathy for the toddler and his mother. Truly the best of Worcester shone through and local political leaders are to be praised for their swift condemnation of these actions. I am grateful to the emergency services and swift police operation which has resulted in five men being charged. 
The heart in its essence needs and wants love, not hate. So fill your hearts with kindness and gratitude so that love can express itself. I pray for peace for this wonderful city and its residents and I'm thankful for all the support it has received this week. And lastly, following on from what the Mayor said in his article, acid attack on boy, sixth man arrested. Police investigating a suspected acid attack on a three-year-old boy in Worcester have arrested a sixth man in connection with the investigation. The man, aged 41, who is from London, was arrested for conspiracy to commit grievous bodily harm overnight. He is currently in police custody. Five other men who were charged in connection with the incident appeared at Kidderminster Magistrates Court on Wednesday, July the 25th and have been remanded in custody. Among them was the victim's father, a 39-year-old man from Wolverhampton who can't be named for legal reasons. The father's solicitor, Aftad Sahur, said this was a very nasty and cowardly attack that has caused great concern among the Worcester community and the community throughout. Pain has been felt by individuals as a result of this attack. Following the incident on Saturday, July the 21st, the wounded boy was taken to hospital with serious burns to his arms and face after he was injured in Home Bargains on Shrub Hill Retail Park, Tallow Hill. And now we've each chosen an article on local sport. And I'm kicking off with Worcester Warriors. And the headline here is Ollie set for first 15 chance. Highly rated centre Ollie Lawrence is set for more first team exposure at Worcester Warriors this season after rubbing shoulders with England's elite this summer. The talented 18-year-old burst onto the scene last term, scoring on his Warriors debut in the Anglo-Welsh Cup in November. Lawrence went on to make two further appearances before being named in England's 31-man training squad in May. Despite the teenager's limited experience of senior rugby, Warriors boss Alan Solomon said he was not completely surprised to see national head coach Eddie Jones call him up. Lawrence trained with his Worcester teammates Nick Shonnett, Jack Singleton and Ben Tao, as well as established internationals including Chris Robshaw, Mike Brown and Ben Youngs at the camp in Brighton. I think the biggest thing he took away from the camp was what it takes to be a top professional and an England player, Solomon said. I spoke to Ben about it and he thought Ollie handled himself extremely well. I think he has been terrific here and like everyone else has trained really well. Ollie is a good young guy and a fine rugby player, there's no doubt about that. Lawrence, who has yet to play in the Aviva Premiership, has progressed from Warriors under-18s to the Senior Academy ahead of the 2018-19 campaign. Solomons has bolstered his midfield with the signings of internationals François Vantier and Ashley Beck. They will contest the two centre spots along with Ryan Mills, Tio, Wijnand Olivier and Academy ace Will Butler. But when asked whether Lawrence was likely to get more chances in the first team, Solomon said, yes, I think so. There are a lot of centres, but it's an attritional position and there are a lot of games. 
Remember, there is the Premiership, the Cup and the Shield, which I still call the A-League. If you look at how the season is structured, we have got that first block of six Premiership games and four A-League matches as well, so all the lads are going to be playing. That's 46 players being used straight away, and that's without counting any injuries. Warriors players have been training with the club's youngsters in pre-season, while Lawrence and fellow rising star Ted Hill travelled to Spain for a week-long camp earlier this month. Our vision is to build a sustainable top six premiership club through the medium of a flourishing academy. They are all practising with us, so Ollie is involved. Ollie went to our camp in Spain and we would have taken the other academy lads, but they were playing for England under 20, so we couldn't. Bressy, Anton Bresley, had a personal matter that he had to go back to South Africa for, so Ted came in for that camp. And this is um, an article about um, Worcester girls rowing. Um, there's a lovely picture here of Worcester's Cox, this squad of Immy Ledbetter, Hermione South, Daisy Price and Elizabeth Shaw. Worcester Rowing Club's Girls 18 squad competed in the British National Junior Championships in Nottingham's National Water Sports Centre. They did the city proud, went up against big clubs and strong competition. Becky Sylvester and Sophie Lee made the C-final of the doubles and finished a strong fourth on their first day. The four um, girls just mentioned um, did some time, time trials in the Cockless squad, reaching the semi-finals and gaining sixth in the A-final. Sophie Stoddart and Maddie Fisher raced in the pairs and were fourth in the final. Evesham Girls Junior 16 squad Becca Parkin, Evie Nutton, Hannah Jones and Ella Shalom were fourth in their A-final, beaten only by Henley, Marlow and Scotland's composite squad. In their fourth race of the day, Shalom and Parkin competed in the, the Junior 16 double and took second in the B-final. And this is an article about football. Uh, rising star Liam Lockett has his heart set on becoming a professional footballer and reckons Worcester City is the perfect place to start. The 19-year-old attacking midfielder is the first player to be placed on contract by City since the club dropped down from National League North, penning a one-year one deal this week. Ludlow-based Lockett is in his fourth season at Worcester, having arrived on the back of spells with youth set-ups at Shrewsbury Town, Burton Albion and Walsall. He broke through to regularly feature for the under-21s last season and bagged a whopping 28 goals from 23 matches from the number 10 role he took on, took up after being converted from a stri striker. The University of Worcester student, who is about to embark on his second year of studying sports and exercise science, had a five-minute cameo on the left in a 1-1 draw at Starport Swifts in April, but has impressed sufficiently to spend pre-season with the senior squad. And having made the stride into men's football, Lockett has no intention of making up the numbers. I always believed I could score well, and I hope to continue that with the first team this season, said Lockett. I used to be a striker, but moved back into midfield, where I could affect the games a bit more. 
The coaching has been good for me, helping me to make the right runs and create the positions to score goals. I feel ready to make an impact and I want to start games. That will be up to the gaffer. We will see what he wants to do, but I will be doing everything I can to impress him. I have always wanted to go as far as I can and the Football League is definitely an ambition of mine. The club gives opportunities to players and the confidence to go out to play the right way as well. That's what I have found since beginning at Worcester. Plenty of players have been pushed through. It is not just me and I think that makes it a good club to be at. City step up their preparations for next week's Midland League kick-off by hosting Southern League Premier Division Central outfit Stratford Town at the Victoria Ground today at 3pm. Worcester head into the clash on the back of five wins from as many warm-up matches in which they have plundered 20 goals in trips to Morventown, Worcester Raiders, Dudley Town, Richard Redditch, United and Budley Town. The practice games get rounded off on Tuesday at home to another team from two levels above, Starbridge at 7.45pm. City's competitive campaign begins with a league showdown at Boldmere St Michael's on Saturday, August the 4th at 3pm. And now Worcestershire County Cricket Club. Alan Richardson paid tribute to the contribution of departing duo Martin Guptill and Travis Head in Worcestershire as Wayne Parnell prepares to arrive as one of the overseas replacements at Blackfinch New Road. Guptill flew out yesterday for a stint in the Caribbean Premier League, while Head will enjoy a brief link in Adelaide before linking up with Australian A for their tour of India. But South African all-rounder Parnell is set to arrive today and join forces with the other overseas player, batsman Callum Ferguson, who has already made a big impact with the county in white ball cricket earlier this summer. The pair will be available for Friday's Vitality Blast home match with Durham Jets at 4.30. Head bowling coach Richardson overseeing the Rapids squad this week alongside Alex Gidman, while head coach Kevin Sharp watches the seconds in action, said, We've just said our goodbyes to Martin and Travis, and they're both, they've both added to the culture, which is what you always want your overseas players to do. They can never guarantee you runs or wickets, but hopefully they come with a good work ethic and with a really good attitude professionally, and they both have done that. They have both added a lot of quality to us, a lot of experience, a lot of nice cricket-wise, so it's been great to have them around. It would be a real shame they've gone, but now we've got Callum back, who has obviously started his Worcestershire career brilliantly. He has a lot of experience as well and is a real calming influence, and Wayne is also coming in. He will give us something a bit different to what we've had this last year. He is someone with a lot of international experience already. He has played in the IPL as well and around the world and got plenty of experience of T20 leagues. He is someone with quality. Wayne is someone who can hopefully give us some lower order runs as well. He is a powerful hitter of the ball, a clean striker. It just gives us another all-round package really. He has got a bit of pace. He moves the ball around nicely. It is quite exciting to have something a bit different. It means the balance of the side might be a bit different, but we are happy to make that change.
now we move on to the death and funeral announcements from this last week. Samuel Frank Alsop of Shrubbery Avenue, formerly of Callow End, passed away peacefully on July the 10th, 2018, aged 83 years. The funeral has taken place. Vilma Cox died on July the 6th, 2018. The funeral service has also taken place. June Brenda Mifflin, nay Lloyd, passed away peacefully at home on July the 18th, 2018, aged 84 years. The funeral service will take place at St John the Baptist Church, Suckley, on Monday, August the 6th at 1pm, followed by interment in the churchyard. Alfred Benjamin Ince passed away on July the 25th, 2018, peacefully at his home in St Anne's-on-Sea, aged 87 years and formerly of Worcester. Service and cremation to take place at Park Crematorium, Lytham, on Wednesday, August the 8th at 12.30pm. Betty Teague, knee dark, sadly passed away on July the 18th, 2018, after a short illness. The funeral will be held on Tuesday, August the 7th at 2.30pm at Worcester Crematorium, followed by a celebration of her life at the Bull Inn at Fernal Heath. Um, John Connolly passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on Monday, July the 30th, aged 59 years. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, August the 8th at 3.15pm. Jean Margaret George sadly passed away at home after a short illness aged 76. The funeral service will be held at St Philip and St James Church Hallow on August the 8th at 2pm, followed by burial in the churchyard. Margaret Stella Griffiths passed away peacefully in hospital on Sunday July the 15th 2018 aged 83. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, August the 7th at 12.15pm. And Marilyn Denise, known as Mal Tarlington, passed away peacefully at St Richard's Hospice on July the 21st, aged 66 years. Her funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, August the 8th at 11.30. Thank you. Now birthdays for the coming week. The 5th of August, Susan Gibb. The 7th of August, Zena Bowen. And the 8th of August, Eva Shepherd. And the team sends you very best wishes on your special day. Thought for the day. 1 John 1, 5-7. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another 
and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And now the article called On This Day, which is events and anniversaries for this date, that's August the 2nd, from years gone by, a bit of historical interest. So on this day in 1100, William II of England was killed by an arrow in the New Forest, allegedly mistaken for a deer. I'm not quite sure how that happened. 1784, the first specially built Royal Mail coach ran from Bristol to London. 1788, Thomas Gainsborough, the English painter, died. 1865, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll was published, but was quickly withdrawn because of bad printing. Only 21 copies of the first edition survived. 1876, James Butler, or Wild Bill Hickok, Marshal of the West, was shot dead while playing poker in a saloon in Deadwood, South Dakota. He was holding two black aces, two black eights and the jack of diamonds, known to this day as the dead man's hand. 1894, death duties were introduced in Britain. 1921, Enrico Caruso, the great Italian tenor, died aged 48 from peritonitis. 1969, the US Mariner unmanned spacecraft beamed the first pictures of Mars back to Earth. 1973, more than 40 people died when fire swept through the Summerland Amusement Centre at Douglas Isle of Man. 1980, right-wing terrorists exploded a bomb at Bologna, a railway station in Italy, killing 84. 1990, Iraq invaded Kuwait and took control after eight hours. The Kuwaiti royal family fled to Saudi Arabia and a puppet government was installed. And 2015, tributes poured in for national treasure Scylla Black after the entertainer died at her home in the south of Spain. Now some useful telephone numbers. Out of hours medical help, 6 to 8 p.m., Zero three double zero one two double three two double one NH number for non emergencies one 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 Malvern Theatre zero one six eight four eight nine double two double seven Worcester Live that's Swan Theatre and Huntingdon Hall Worcester six double one four two nine Worcester Hub for Council Matters Worcester 765765 or 72233. Crime Stoppers 0800555111 and Samaritans 116123 and that is a free phone number. Well now, we've reached the end of this recorded edition. And thank you, my great thanks, in fact, to Kate, to Margaret and to Sue 
for holding my hand through this week's edition as I'm only standing in for their usual editor. We thank also Duncan for being our sound engineer and we hope you've enjoyed listening to the choices that we've made and that you'll listen in to next week's edition. Best wishes to you all. So it's goodbye from me, Evelyn, and goodbye from... Sue. Margaret. Kate. Goodbye.